one of the most beloved authors in the ketogenic community is my amazing friend and keto nutrition expert, Maria Emmerich. She has dedicated her life to helping people achieve health and well-being through a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat diet. We all know and love Maria's incredible work, including my collaboration with her on the international best-selling book called The Ketogenic Cookbook. Now she's back with another amazing new book set to release on December 27, 2016, entitled The 30-Day Ketogenic Cleanse. Unlike most juice or other cleanses where you starve yourself throughout the entire process, this cleanse from Maria uses the principles of a whole foods-based ketogenic approach to help you conquer the first 30 days of becoming keto-adapted and reap the full array of benefits right away. In this 432-page book, you'll get a 30-day meal plan, weekly shopping list, 150 scrumptious recipes that are mostly dairy-free and contain no nut flours, and so much more. This makes a great gift for yourself or anyone looking to get healthy in 2017. Pre-order the book now at Amazon.com and pick up your copy of the 30-day ketogenic cleanse in paperback and ebook versions in Barnes & Noble and Amazon beginning on December the 27th. Want to enjoy a sweet cookie and still stay in ketosis? Two friends did just that with Keto Cookie. Christopher and Victor went on the ketogenic diet, lost fat, and felt amazing. But they wanted something sweet and convenient for their busy lifestyle. So they created Keto Cookie and now want to share this sweet satisfaction with you. Is this really keto? Low Carbers tested Keto Cookie with their glucose monitors and were amazed by the results. How is this possible? Keto Cookie is made with non-GMO almond flour, is naturally sweetened with erythritol and monk fruit extract, and has a healthy amount of grass-fed butter, coconut oil, and MCT oil to fuel your day. With less than 2 grams of net carbs, it's the perfect on-the-go snack to keep you energized and ready to inspire the world. Enjoy your chewy childhood favorites like chocolate chip and the cinnamony snickerdoodle, gluten-free, guilt-free, and bake-free. To discover more about Keto Cookie and how two friends are inspiring people to eat smarter but sweeter, visit KetoCookie.com and be sure to use the promo code LLVLC to receive 15% off your order. And follow them on Instagram for exclusive giveaways and specials at Keto cookie Hey fellow Ketonians, in case you haven't heard, my friends Carl and Richard from the Two Keto Dudes podcast along with a whole bunch of their keto friends are going to make history by turning the U.S. town of New London, Connecticut ketogenic for the weekend of July 15th and 16th, 2017. It's called Keto Fest and promises to be not only educational, but a whole lot of fun. My Fasting Talk co-host Megan Ramos and I will be speaking as part of this event along with a whole bunch bunch of other great keto thought leaders. In addition to great talks, they're also going to have an outdoor keto barbecue with a pig picking, live music, walking, running, cycle tours, and cooking and fitness lessons as well. They've got the local restaurants and the mayor on board too. There's a Kickstarter campaign set up to pre-sell the tickets to this great event, which starts April the 26th. So help us make history by reserving your ticket now at ketofest.com. That's ketofest.com.
The information and opinions provided here are for educational purposes only and are not intended to provide individual medical advice. Material conversations and statements found herein are not intended as and does not substitute for a personalized doctor-patient relationship. You are listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and Surprise Arizona family physician Dr. Adam Nally. They are here answering the most pressing questions about a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And now, it's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Here's Jimmy and Adam. Hey, hey guys, we're back here on episode 64 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, it's ketotalk.com, and I'm here with my good buddy, my pal, he is Dr. Adam Nally. What's up, Adam? Hello, Jimmy, and hello all you ketonians out there. It's always a pleasure to uh, chat with you, Jimmy, and to chew the fat with uh, our ketonian fans. Absolutely, and we're getting to connect with those ketonian fans a couple weeks ago, or I guess it, yeah, yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago that we announced this Facebook page that we created, ketotalkfb.com. Go there right now, and it takes you right to the Ketonian Corner. My uh, my web guy actually came up with that. I like that, the Ketonian Corner. And so uh, go there, and we actually were joking last week uh, that we hit a thousand uh, members pretty quick. And I was like, yeah, let's let's go for two. Wait, let's go for 3,000. I was kind of joking. We have over 2,500 as of the recording of this on Monday before it airs. So maybe by the time it airs on the Thursday, uh, we will be over the 3,000. So you guys are rocking it, man. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I bet you I bet you will be at 32. 32. I, 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 I'm not doubting you anymore, Doc, because you you were pretty spot on. You were the one that called a thousand in the first week and I was only saying 500. So but yeah, so this week we've actually been kind of celebrating uh, hitting that number. Maria Emmerich's new book comes out next week, Keto Comfort Foods. So Victor Belt gave me three copies to give away and we've already given those away Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. But Thursday, which is today, if you're listening to this when it comes out today, we have a very special surprise giveaway today and tomorrow, Friday. So you're just going to have to go to KetoTalkFB.com to find out what that is. But uh, I'm sure Ketonians will love this prize that we're going to give away. So go sign up KetoTalkFB.com. But let's get into the show, and we had a lot of interesting things in the news, and I had to bring one up pretty quick uh, in the show here today because you and I are collaborating on a book that will be coming out in September called The Keto Cure, September 26th, 2017 is the release date for that, and we already have some criticism, which is always kind of funny to me. People start criticizing a book that hasn't even come out yet. So how do you criticize a book? But uh, Andrew Scarborough, do you know Andrew? Did you get to I meet think him? I met him? I think I met him once or twice at, at, a, at a conference. Uh, I know I, I know I met him uh, in in Tampa at the conference in February. But you know his story too, as a brain cancer survivor. And he used a ketogenic diet and many other therapies to help overcome it. He, he's been on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. Really powerful story of how he's overcome brain cancer with a ketogenic diet and other things. And so anyway, he saw that we were writing this book, The Keto Cure. And he's like, um, 
on his blog, he said, I feel it's irresponsible to have a title like that. Ironically, will serve as a hindrance to the research rather than support. He goes on and on. Definitely will have a link if you want to read what he had to say. But I, I think there's some misunderstanding with why we're using that word cure. So rather than me kind of pontificating, you're kind of writing uh, the crux of a lot of the book right now. What do you mean when you say keto cure? Well, and this is one of those things that, you know, you learn in kindergarten that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. And that's that's essentially what you need to look at here. Yeah. Um, you know, the title uh, as we as we are writing this really comes to relates to insulin resistance and not to anything, not to more than that. Um, insulin resistance, as we know, plays a major role in all of the diseases of civilization. And right. so the, the, the keto cure is really looking at a, a treatment or, or curing the insulin resistance syndrome that arises um, that I've seen for 15 years. And the ketogenic diet has been the only only thing that has literally reversed the insulin resistance issues that I see with patients time and time again. Um, and, and it's that insulin resistance that's present in every single disease, including diabetes and heart disease and gout and cancers and, uh, you know, Alzheimer's. the list goes on and Alzheimer's and, you know, MS and all these components that are there. We see, we see insulin resistance um, in the background, always present. It's always there. And when we treat the insulin resistance and we improve that insulin resistance, we see dramatic improvement in these other diseases of civilization. Now, that's where that's where the term keto cure comes from. Um, if, if you read the book when it comes out, and, and, and knowingly, Mr. Scarborough's not read it because it hasn't been published yet. We um, haven't even read it yet because it's not done. It's, it's not done yet. We're still, we're still <laughs> writing pieces of it. So yes. th- that's, the, uh, that's the issue. I, one, one piece of umbrage I do take with Mr. Scarborough, bless his heart, and I know he's been through a great deal, and I listened to a great talk he gave in, in, in um, Tampa, Tampa in February yeah. about, about his, his, his system. Is um, one of the notes is that he says this is not being written by scientists, and I take a little bit of umbrage with that. I am a clinical scientist as a physician; that's what I do. Um, You know, I see it's it's the application of science in my office clinically that really drives the way treatments are applied and used and and revised over over years and time. And it's the things that we see in our office that we talk to researchers about to do greater study and greater detail of it. So, so that that part is a little that that bothered me a little bit, and I don't know, Mr. Scar. Barbara really knows um, much about who we are other than, than he saw a book title that he didn't like and it, he took umbrage with that. So either way, um, hopefully he'll enjoy the book when he uh, when, when it comes out and uh, hopefully it'll, it, it will be very clear as to what that title implies and means. Well, and from his perspective, I can see him seeing Keto Cure as someone who did a lot more than just the ketogenic diet to overcome uh, what would have been a fatal brain cancer. So I can understand from his standpoint his his mentality on this but i think uh like you said don't judge a book by its cover before it's even written so uh, his line in there nothing works in isolation and the ketogenic diet on its own is certainly not a cure-all as some like to market it well we're not marketing uh, the ketogenic diet as a cure-all we've said that many times here on this podcast you won't hear Adam Nally or Jimmy Moore say that keto is the cure for all ills of all mankind. No, it's not. But it sure does help with a lot. Oh, it totally does. It totally does. And uh, and and I, and I I can tell you uh, quite a few little uh, um, uh, chemical st- substances that in and of themselves work in isolation. Um, there are there are a number of them that do. Um, and if we if we identify 
the the broken area, when we fix that that isolated area, oftentimes you can see cures in various diseases. Now, I, and I and I totally agree with what what uh, he's saying in regards to cancers and things of that nature. That uh, a multifaceted treatment is often really what's required to treat a lot of these things. But yeah. again, as the book comes out, you're going to see what that title really means and why we used it. Well, Andrew, thanks for uh, taking us to task and keeping us honest, because I, I don't mind someone uh, you know, challenging that word. We're using that word by design. Uh, and I even told him, I said, I don't think Victory Belt's legal team would let us get away with it if, if there wasn't some veracity to what we were saying in the book. So uh, stay tuned, my friend. September 26th is when it comes out. And I'd, I do hope that uh, you give it an honest, fair review when it comes out. But Dr. Natalie, I have to say there was something pretty profound that happened over the weekend. Uh, Technically, it was on Friday when this happened last Friday. Uh, Professor Tim Noakes has been through the ringer and back in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. He was taken to trial uh, by the American or excuse me, the Association of Dietetics there. And they filed a complaint with the Health Professionals Council in South Africa over a tweet that Tim Noakes had made. Now, Tim Noakes is the guy behind the Real Meal Revolution, the Banting Diet, which is a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. So somebody on Twitter tweeted, you know, hey, I'm trying to wean my uh, baby off the breast milk. What should I do? And he said, you should try to wean them onto some low-carb, high-fat foods. Well, that's what... That's when all the crap hit the fan. (laughs) And for the past few years, he's been in and out of court. And finally, they came back with their verdict, and it was not guilty. And basically what they concluded was he wasn't acting as a medical professional. He was acting as the author of a popular best-selling book, and so thus wasn't giving medical advice. But uh, did you see this come through, and what did you think about it? Oh, I rejoiced. It was it was fantastic. Um, at, you know, as a as a physician, one of the greatest worries that all of us have is is being you know sued because of something we did or said. Um, because you know, we we most physicians care greatly about everyone around us. We want to help heal everyone around us. That's really the underlying desire behind what we do. And so, statements we make or things that we do um, are, are really directed in in most cases. Uh, because of that great desire we have as healers to to apply our um, our art and and the challenge is that uh, because of the medical legal challenges that are, have arisen in the last fifty to hundred years, uh, any statements we make are scrutinized yeah. by multiple people. As you can see, Mr. Scarborough, you know he's he's already scrutinizing a statement that's made. Um, even before the, the the statement is published, and so uh, or the or the title is published, uh, and that's one of the greatest challenges that arises in medicine is that um, you know you see this. Um, Tim Noakes was uh, was actually charged on three different counts, and all three were 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 he was he was found to be not guilty on, and those three counts individually were were relating to his license, his ability to carry on a, a doctor patient relationship, and a statement he made via Twitter, and so mm-hmm. it, all three pieces of that um, those. Those uh, that that lawsuit um, were were 
uh, essentially wiped away. Yeah. And it was demonstrated that he he followed protocols and did exactly what he was supposed to be doing as a physician. That's and that that was re- very relieving for those of us that are that are more visible on social media because social our social media presence can be inferred um, in, in good and bad ways based on people's interpretation. And that's one of the biggest challenges on this show and, and that he has over Twitter and that we all have over you know Facebook and these various places. And it's one of the reasons that you may see me not comment or even show up in places because. Uh, on social media because of there, there's there's this this type of risk and so hats off to Dr. Noakes um, for what he's done in South Africa yeah. for the Bantine uh, success that they've had there and for his success in in um, challenging um, you know those that that were attempting to uh, to discredit uh, what is has been scientifically shown to be a valid approach to the treatment of health. Uh, so I, I'm I'm really excited. He's definitely a hero, and he he was a hero even as he was going through this. But can you imagine how empowered he feels at this moment, and, and the rest of us, you know, that have kind of been standing with him and standing by him through this whole ordeal? This took a toll on his family. I, I don't want anybody to to not realize that this guy, he basically put his reputation on the line standing up to this and and not rolling over. I I bet those dietetics uh, association people were just hoping he would just go away. The problem is Tim Noakes, that's not his style. (laughs) If you know Tim and and I've had the great privilege of meeting him and speaking uh, on stage in Cape Town, South Africa, he is a fighter and we owe him a great debt of gratitude for standing up to this and uh, and being willing to kind of stick his neck out. And now he set a precedent um, for how to act and, and in what way you can act. You know, you'll notice at the beginning of this podcast, we have a disclaimer and that's by design because we never want people to interpret anything uh, that the doc says here as medical advice. Now, me as a as a layperson, I can truly say anything because I'm not beholden to anybody. It's it's why I feel a little more empowered than the doc does. Uh, but but we do that by design. We're we're giving you information and letting you choose what to do with it. Um, definitely never giving medical advice in any way. Yeah. And that's and it's it really is a fine line you walk, um, and it's a challenge because you're you're out in the public eye and interpretation really comes down at times to the eye of the beholder, and so the way and the style in which things are said and what happens is important. Um, but this is this is exciting news for Tim, for his family, for those that worked with him, and and for all of South Africa and and the world uh, of, of ketosis. So it's it's great. Yes, I, I'm. I'm so excited. Uh, the next time they put on some kind of a, a low carb, high fat conference, it's going to be a. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it will be. Very excited over there. Yes, they are. So, uh, did you see the headline about margarine sales? Investors can't believe they're not better. I love that. That was a very cute title that the Economist came up with. Uh, the reason margarine sales are not better is the demand for natural fats is rising and we've seen this uh, happening where somewhere around 2012 2013 hmm what happened there oh keto started coming on the scene pretty strong and we saw butter surpass margarine and so now all these companies are scratching their heads and going what in the world is going on why aren't people eating this much healthier fat isn't it great Oh, it's amazing. But, but, you know, I, I don't know how they could miss it because you know, it, when it's illegal to smuggle butter across the, the, the country lines in Scandinavia, yes. um, how could you, how could you not see that? That's what I, that's what I 
I, it doesn't surprise me, but it also surprises me. Or even here in America, we gave that story a few weeks back about Wisconsin uh, banning the uh, what was it, Kerry Gold butter? Oh yeah, Kerry Golden. So yeah. you know we're, we're we're seeing this, but you're right. Um, Sweden and and that part of the world, they truly kind of were a precursor to this happening. And what's interesting is our mutual friend Andreas Ianfelt, the diet doctor, he actually showed on a slide of what happened to heart disease rates at the same time that butter increased. Heart disease rates actually decreased. So that's the graph that I'm looking for. That once we start seeing butter, you know, truly overtaking margarine, what's going to happen to the heart disease rates? It'll be it'll be a fascinating thing. Now, of course, you and I know that the carbs still matter, that the vegetable oils still matter. All the things that would lead to inflammation that would make cardiovascular disease worse still matters. But man, oh, man, if people are embracing real fats, I think that's a huge step in the right direction of ketosis becoming truly mainstream. True. Very true. Couldn't help that one. That was too awesome. That's a good one. But this last uh, uh, headline that we're going to cover is from The Sun. Just one Diet Coke, Doc, or even a Pepsi Max a day can triple the risk of a deadly stroke and dementia, according to new research. The study finds that those who drink artificially sweetened beverages like Diet Coke and Pepsi Max are at three times the risk of suffering strokes compared to non drinkers. So you can go read the story, you guys. It kind of goes on and on about the the risk. But is this one of those deals of it's an epidemiological study, not really randomized controlled clinical trial and doesn't really tell us a whole lot? There's just an association? Well, it does. There's an interesting thing because there was a three time the risk. It was three times increased risk for those that were drinking diet soda. But there were actually three times less number of diabetics in that research arm of the Framingham Harp study that were drinking diet soda, which is so when you if you actually go to the study in stroke and you you read the study, there was twenty eight hundred people or so, forty five years or older, who were offspring of the original Framingham Heart Group that were studied. And interestingly enough, in the arm of the artificial sweetener use, there were literally three times more three times more diabetics than there were in the sugar arm that were there. Um, and that was no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know, but that's where a cohort study that that was looked at. Um, it doesn't appear that they they adjusted for risk factors. Uh, and we know that diabetes increases risk of stroke and dementia. Yes. Those are those are known risk factors. But the study doesn't state, at least I couldn't see it. I didn't see it as I read the study that that they actually risk adjusted for that. And when you look at the numbers you know, that that three to one ratio is is there in both of those arms. And so the question is, is it the diabetes risk that they were seeing that they were blaming on the artificial sweetener or is it truly the artificial sweetener? The other issue is that these are patients that were asked to 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 quantify their diet soda and soda intake over day for a, a daily over a four year period of time. Again, so it's a questionnaire you were given four years later that says, OK, how much soda did you actually drink? <laughs> Yikes. And they and now the the claim is that the study the study is, is pretty accurate, but I really have a hard time, you know, saying, well, how many sodas did I actually drink? You know, did I drink one? Did I drink two? Did I drink three a day over this last four year period of time? And that's that's the part where you're you know it's a look back study. You're looking back over time. You're asking people to, to from memory guess how many sugared versus non sugary drinks they drank, and and then there's this skew of of a significant portion are diabetic in the 
artificial sweetener arm and a significant portion are not in the sugar arm. So that that's that's the part that I go, hmm. Because this same group studied artificial sweeteners a couple of years before this and didn't find this. And so it's very interesting to see that they found it one time and they didn't find it the next time. Well, and when you have this kind of study, the propensity for making up whatever you wanted to say is there. Um, let's see a randomized controlled clinical trial and, of course, test your hypothesis that maybe Diet Dr. Pepper, although they did say Diet Coke, um, you know, versus these ones that have the, the ACE-K, if there's a difference, uh, and you would say there is a difference in those versus the ones that just have uh, aspartame, for example, um, so yeah, uh, it was an interesting one because it gets a lot of headlines and of course it, you know, gets people all up in a tizzy about, oh my gosh, just one Diet Coke will do this. And so, yeah, you kind of have to, you have to dig deeper, which is why we have this show. We want to help dig deeper for you and, uh, appreciate the input doc. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Special thank you to Ted, Becky, Timothy, Merrill. Merrill says, good day, guys. Thank you uh, both for your awesome hard work every week. I love this podcast. It is inspiring. Makes me sound quite the expert when I pass on the knowledge to others. Oh, good. I love the pathophysiology content. Cheers, Merrill in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Jane from Denmark. Kate, Aisha, Pamela, Jana, Bruce, and Sarah. Sarah says, hi, guys. Thank you so much for all your hard work and your informative and entertaining podcast. I'm a new listener, and I'm trying to get caught up. I've already devoured your book, Keto Clarity, Jimmy. I'm planning on picking up The Keto Diet by Leanne Vogel. Thank you again. I can't wait to jump into this lifestyle and experience the almost limitless benefits. Keep up the great work. Had a lot of great uh, donations this week, so you guys, thank you so much for that and head on over to ketotalk.com and you can click on the donate button and uh, provide a donation or go to our paypal.me slash ketotalk website and you can make a donation that way so thank you guys so much for your support thank you yes so let's move on to the uh, the first question we're going to address here today Derek has it. Dear Jimmy and the Doc, I think my question for you might be slightly cheeky. He must be British. Uh, cheeky. They don't say cheeky, cheeky yes. in America. <laughs> no. Oh. But here it is. Listening to vegan advocates like Durian Ryder of 30 Bananas a Day fame. Do you know Durian Ryder or have heard of him? I've, I've heard of him, but I don't know him personally, yes. I've actually met him in person uh, when I did a, a tour in Australia a few years back. And it was just a random thing that uh, somebody recognized me that was a friend of his. He said, hey, Harley, that's his name, Harley Johnstone. Hey, Harley, come here. I want you to meet somebody. And so I got to meet Durian Ryder there in Adelaide, uh, uh, Australia. So that was pretty cool. Cool. It seems he is quite convinced and determined to stand by his raw vegan lifestyle. And this got me to thinking. Why are all of his blood markers, body fat, and energy levels so good if everything he believes about nutritional health is exactly the opposite of what we know and understand about keto? I'm a 34-year-old male, 6 foot tall, weigh 185 pounds. I've never had poor health, never been obese, never been pre-diabetic, or had any other metabolic issues that drive most people to a low-carb, high-fat diet. So why would going keto be a good thing for someone like me? I am sincerely asking this because Durian Ryder and his raw vegan approach seems to be uh, making a compelling argument to go that route to get even leaner. With all the crisscross availability of nutritional info flying around the web, I find myself suddenly becoming very 
confused. Can you help? Best regards, Derek. Yes, we can help, uh, Derek. Uh, Derek's question is this, Doc. If you don't have any metabolic health issues to deal with, then why would going keto be a better option than a raw vegan diet? Well, and, and you know, the first thing I would preface this com- these comments with for Derek is to say that you know, we are all individuals. Um, and yes. that individuality means that uh, in, the first 50, in the first five years of my practice in uh, you know, 15 plus years that I've been doing this, uh, I saw about a third of the population, a fourth of the population do very well with vegetarian or vegan diets. They did, they did fantastic. But when we actually delved into their metabolic, um, pathways and what, what we were seeing, they were very, very healthy people to start with and they wanted to maintain that health. And so they were, they were, they picked diets that they thought were the most healthy for them based on their, their, their approaches, their beliefs, their lifestyle, or, or, you know, what, what they, what they, their background. Um, and they did very well and they had great markers and everything was good. But the, the significant portion of the population that tried using vegetarian or vegan diets or low fat diets did not do well and actually saw exactly opposite effects with cholesterol and blood pressure and weight gain. And so that question really bothered me for the first five years of my practice. And that's what really caused me to delve into the science behind what's really happening. Now, as you pointed out very well, Derek, and also, you know, Durian Ryder, neither of them have insulin resistance. and they and and any dietary approach that limits um, the starches and the the high amount of carbs, uh, the simple sugars in someone who is metabolically healthy will probably be beneficial for those people. Now, the one factor to answer the question is what what was the reason that I, that I would pick a, a ketogenic type diet over a raw vegan diet is that of age. Um, the, slowing the aging process. Dr. Veach uh, showed a very demonstrated a very nice study in two thousand four. Um, in March of that year, where he demonstrated that the ketone body itself notably decreases the aging process, and notably, uh, and recently this year, we've, we've seen that it notably decreases inflammation. The challenge with a, ve- a vegan or a vegetarian diet is the higher carbohydrate content may very well stimulate inflammatory changes and the age-related processes that arise um, in some people. Now, not all, but in some that may have mild insulin resistance that may not be vi- really visible initially in your 30s. So that's and, and remember, I, I deal with uh, populations that are, you know, from cradle to the grave, but a significant portion of my population is over 55. So I see the tail end of this inflammatory and aging process that's occurred from patients that have been vegetarian or vegan or, throughout their lives. Um, and that's the one factor that I would, would that I would say, in my perspective, would cause me to pick a ketogenic diet over a vegan diet. And it seems like a lot of the vegan advocates, they always focus on the leanness of the person and that that's really the only thing they, they really care about. It, it it fascinates me that I would think you would want the most robust metabolic health possible um, and, and getting insulin resistance uh, under control and improving insulin sensitivity rather than leanness. Leanness would be a side effect of that improvement in the insulin sensitivity and metabolic damage that's happened it's just amazing. Every single one I've ever interviewed on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show, including Durian Rider, who's been on there, uh, have all said, oh, you want to be the leanest you can possibly be, eat 30 bananas a day. And I'm going, no, I would be as big as I could possibly be if I ate 30 bananas a day. <laughs> Well, and the challenge that I see is, you know, a lot of the a lot of the vegetarian and vegans that have converted over to a ketogenic diet came into my office 
we did their blood tests and their cholesterol was borderline normal, yeah. uh, but their CRPs were, were really high, you know, and they couldn't figure that out. They're saying, well, I'm eating all these antioxidants. Why are my, why is my CRP so high? Mm-hmm. And their, you know, their, and uh, their cardiologist would say, well, it must be your genes. And so they just blamed it on their genetics and that, that spurred them on to, to be, you know, vegetarian or vegan more, more fully. But when you actually look at what's driving these inflammatory processes, it's the stimulus of various types of starch and the genetic response that your body has to that. So it, it really, it really does come down to the individuality of the person. That's why we individualize medicine. That's why we we do it individually. Yeah. Um, you know, the blanket statement doesn't work for everything in that regard. And so that's that's important to understand. Well, Derek, thank you for that question. And uh, yeah, Durian Ryder, he's doing his thing and he's definitely convinced of uh, what he's doing. But um, if it's working for him, I think the doc and I would both say keep doing it. If <laughs> what he's doing is working for him. Uh, I know there's some question about some of the health tests that he's had, B12 deficiency and, and things like that. So just pay attention to everything. Don't just see what they tell you. <laughs> really look deeply. And uh, thank you for again for the question. We're going to pause here and be right back with the study as well as your questions here today. If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the fresh pressed olive oil club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oil direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time, jimmyoliveoil.com. Are you looking for an online store that would have all your ketogenic products in one place? Then let me introduce you to OneStopKeto.com. Once you get there, you'll see personally selected products by me, and they do have the largest selection of keto-friendly products. There are no membership fees, and you'll get free shipping on all orders over $99. Use the coupon code KETOTALK for an additional special discount for listeners of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. 
They ship to the US and Canada and they have five star amazing customer service. If you have any questions and looking for specific products, they are there for you. So head on over to onestopketo.com. Are you looking for high quality supplements to complement your healthy, low carb, high fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner and my Keto Talk podcast co-host, Dr. Adam Nally, to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our first two items available for you, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus Blood Sugar Control Formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the Keto key nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and banaba leaf. And we're just getting started on the Keto Living brand of ketogenic focused supplements in 2017, including the first ever high fat meal replacement powder to help you ditch those problematic protein powders coming soon. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. Ketoliving.com. They're back and better than ever at JimmyLovesFBomb.com. They are the F-Bomb company. Fat is smart fuel. They have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community, and they make keto easier. They have products that include coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter, macadamia nut butter blend. They also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. These are all available to you now at JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb, they'll give you 10% off of your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. My name is Jimmy Moore, the international best-selling author of The Ketogenic Cookbook and Keto Clarity, and I'm here with Dr. Adam Nally, who always brings his A-game. <laughs> You're kind, Jimmy. You're kind. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. And on the uh, Facebook page, ketotalkfb.com, people are just bragging all over you about your insights and about how awesome you are. One guy said, or one lady said, I like it when he does that Kermit the Frog voice. <laughs> I saw that. Yes, Okey-dokey. I did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you do yes. do some uh, funny voices. But, uh, yeah, anyway, he kind of looks funny, too. But anyway. <laughs> Depends on which side of the bed you get up there on. There you go. Yes. There you go. Well, let's get to today's featured study. And this was a really good one that actually just came out. It's hot off the presses, April 2017 from Jacob Wilson and Ryan Lowry and Jeff Folick and Dominique Diagosino. So some familiar names in the keto community. The effects of ketogenic dieting on body composition, strength, power, and hormonal profiles in resistant uh, resistance training males. So they took 25 college-age men. They were divided uh, into a uh KD or a traditional WD from weeks one through 10. So KD is ketogenic diet. What is a WD? 
It's the Western diet. Oh, the Western diet. Okay, sad diet. Okay. Yeah, sad uh, diet. With the introduction of carbohydrates from week 10 and 11 while participating in resistance training, body composition, strength, power, and blood lipids were all determined at 0, 10, and 11 weeks, and a comprehensive metabolic uh, panel, CMP, and a testosterone level was also measured at weeks 0 and 11. So what were the results? Uh, they found that uh, only the ketogenic group showed an increase in the LBM between 10 and 11 and fat mass decreased in both groups. Strength and power increased to the same extent and no changes in blood lipids occurred from weeks 1 through 10. However, a rapid reintroduction of carbs in weeks 10 and 11 raised triglyceride levels, G surprise, surprise, in the ketogenic yeah, group. And total testosterone increased significantly from weeks 0 through 11 in the ketogenic diet group, 118 uh, NG per DL, as compared to the westernized diet, which went down 36 yep. nanograms Every per time. deciliter from pre to post while insulin did not change. So their conclusion is a ketogenic diet used in combination with resistance training caused favorable changes in body composition, performance, and the hormonal profiles in resistance trained males. And you already let the cat out of, ba- out of the bag, but does this surprise you? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, 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 uh, it, it, it demonstrates what we've been seeing for years. It really does. And, and it's nice that Jacob Wilson and Ryan and uh, Lowry and, and the, the group put together a study that actually demonstrates these factors because I've been seeing it for years. Many of the ketogenic docs have been seeing it for years. We, the bodybuilding um, uh, the bodybuilding component of the ketogenic groups that are out there um, have have seen this for a long time. Um, you know, Jeff Volek has has published on this a number of times, uh, as is Steve Finney, and, and so we we know that this is there. This is just another uh, uh, certification or another another. Uh, uh, piece of data to add to our our armamentarium our, our armamentarium if i can speak armamentarium that's a new uh, word spell that a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i will pass on the spelling how on about arsenal so, there we go arsenal works good too it's, it <laughs> works for our our list of of journal articles that help us to to say hey this is the data that we have showing that a ketogenic diet when combined with resistance training is very effective for muscle retention testosterone maintenance decreasing fat mass it just just fantastic article. so why did they reintroduce carbs to the ketogenic group in 10 11 just to kind of see what would happen in that week so what they wanted to show was that they wanted to demonstrate what's the effect of taking a person out of ketosis if they've been in ketosis with with ah. muscle strength does it change the testosterone? Does it change fat mass? That Does it change sense. those components? So you want to kind of throw a variable into it. Like, like the, you know, the average, the average person goes along and all of a sudden birthday comes along and you eat your birthday cake. What happens if the bodybuilder does that? That's, that's what they were looking for. Um, they've got a great, they've got a great, uh, 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 lab that they have there in Florida that they, they train world-class athletes. Yeah, Dr. A nice Dr. lab. Lauer. Oh, it's it's probably one of the nicest in the world. Uh, great place to do training, and uh, they they turn out some really great results there. And so they wanted to demonstrate what was happening in these capacities. So I wonder how long it would have taken for those raised plasma triglycerides in the ketogenic group that went up when they had the carbs. How quickly would they come back down again? Twenty four hours is what I see clinically. No, okay. I don't know what they saw, but I, I clinically I see I see those come back down in twenty four hours, which is impressive. And then the testosterone to, difference was huge. Oh, huge. You know, Almost I, I 150 see a 150 point difference between the control yep. group and the ketogenic group. 
Oh yeah. And I see a hundred to 150 points all the time with patients, you know, my males that come into the office and they're not necessarily exercising, uh, as, 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 as they're not powerlifting like these 25 year old men, year old men are yeah. They're they're you know, they may do some walking or some golf or things like that, but I'll see a hundred to 150 points of improvement just with the dietary change, which is really exciting. And for those that want to build and maintain muscle mass, very exciting. Well, Jacob, Brian, et al., thank you for that great, uh, great new study. It's in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and we'll have a link to this uh, article, uh, Ovid Insights, uh, so you guys can go see it at ketotalk.com. But let's get to today's featured questions, and the first one is from Lynn. Hi, Jimmy and Doc Muscles. I'm so happy I found this podcast. I've been binge listening ever since. Keto Talk is a breath of fresh air compared to all the contradictory information floating around out there. I'm trying to get keto adapted again, and this time I plan on doing it for the long haul. I do pretty good getting into ketosis, no problem. I can always tell when my blood sugar levels aren't zigzagging. I'm needing less sleep, and my cravings and hunger are manageable. I've noticed that when I drop my carbohydrate intake to less than 30 grams a day in order to be ketogenic, my eyes become severely dry. I can't open them at all in the middle of the night, and I end up having to use eye drops immediately upon waking up, and that stings like the dickens. Yeah, I bet it does. I've gone to see my eye doctor about this and everything checks out okay. I've read from various people online that decreasing carbs lowers mucus production. Is this true? If so, then is there anything I can do to deal with the issue while keto? I have 20 bottles of eye drops tucked away in every nook and cranny of my home because I can't live without them. I've been waiting for the right ketogenic resource for a long time and you guys are it. Thanks for all you do, Lynn. So Lynn has a question that actually has been out there for many years now, Adam, uh, from people like uh, Paul Jaminet has been talking about this whole dry eyes thing with a ketogenic diet. But is it true that lowering carbs while eating keto lowers mucus production, which then leads to dry eyes? Well, remember that the the benefit of a ketogenic diet is you're burning fat. And the byproduct of burning fat is you create carbon dioxide, which you blow off by breathing out. And you produce water. Your body has to, yeah, yeah. Your body has to, uh, uh, it has to get rid of the water. Otherwise, you're going to swell up and look like a, a water balloon. And that that can be socially slowing in some cases. If you, you don't know, yeah. Um, so you got to, yeah. You and you've got to get rid of the water. And so in order to get rid of the water, which we talked about before, oh, that's a great sound effect. I love that. Um, I didn't do that. That was Jimmy. <laughs> um, your body puts salts into the kidney and the water follows the salt into the kidney and then exits your body. It, it's dehydrating. And so as you lose salt and you lose water, uh, you'll end up seeing a change in the mucous membranes. Now, it's not that it st- slows mucus production. It slows it, – it, it, it dries the mucous membrane. And so if you are genetically – um, susceptible to dry mucous membranes, you, you're going to be one of those that may have a challenge with dry eyes. The big the factor that I find clinically in my office is number one, helping people to maintain hydrosis or maintain their water intake, number one. And number two, you can help maintain water intake by maintaining your salt intake. The biggest challenge I find every day, at least a third of the people that I put on a ketogenic diet, even after they've read my diet and gone through the, the training class, they still are afraid of salt. 
uh, specifically magnesium and zinc in some cases with the eyes uh, that that are necessary. And so I'm a big fan of the the pink Himalayan salts to be replacing the sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. And so yeah. I use those a lot with people and encourage that because those are two factors that really help. Now, if you're well hydrated, if your body composition is showing that's the case, your salt levels are normal, and you're still having a dry eye issue, then there may be a couple other underlying disease processes that you want to check with your ophthalmologist about. And I would encourage that. But that's usually the underlying factor in most cases of dryness in the eyes and mucous membranes. And it's amazing that this is a major complaint of ketogenic diets. I've seen it out there, like I said, from Jamin A and Chris Kresser and different ones talking about dry eyes. I'm going, really? Uh, th- that's what we're complaining about with a ketogenic diet? <laughs> you know, in the 10 years I've been doing this, I've had maybe three patients in total say, my eyes are dry. You know, and it, of the and it more than ten thousand a of year, the thousands of people that we see a year, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it it's kind of interesting that that's their that's their nitpicking piece. Yeah, well, Lynn, thank you for asking the question, and hopefully that information helps you out. And we're up to the second feature question of the day. It's from Paul, not Jamine. Hi, Jimmy and Adam. My family has been doing keto for a few months and we're all loving the health improvements we're experiencing. My 37-year-old brother has lost almost 50 pounds. I've lost 25. My 68-year-old dad, almost 20. Both of my parents are type 2 diabetics and their A1C has gone down. My dad was only on metformin and his doctor has said he can go off the medication since his A1C has dropped to 5.4. But my 65-year-old mom has been on insulin for over 10 years and has not been able to lower her dosage of 40 units of long-lasting insulin in the morning and 8 units of fast-acting insulin with each meal, despite the fact that her blood sugar levels are regularly under 120. Initially, after going keto, she was able to discontinue the insulin she was taking with her meals and still get her blood sugar down to 85. However, recently... Her blood sugar has been creeping back up again to around 120, requiring her to start taking the insulin with meals again. So my question for you is this. Why would she need that much insulin in a day if she is staying between 20 grams of carbs with only moderate protein? My mom meticulously tracks her food intake on a daily basis. All of us in the family Uh, Of all of us in the family, she's the only one who hasn't seen great weight loss success, just 10 pounds in several months, and I think it has something to do with the insulin she is taking. Uh, Yeah. She's much hungrier than the rest of us uh, uh, are if she doesn't eat by the clock throughout the day. What can she do to reduce her need to take insulin and rev up her weight loss efforts? She's quite discouraged right now. Thanks for what you do. You're literally saving lives, Paul. So Paul has the question, what can my type 2 diabetic ketogenic eating mom taking insulin do to wean herself off the insulin to help in her weight loss efforts? Now, I want to chime in first because my Fasting Talk co-host, Dr. Jason Fung, would say, why are we treating a disease of high insulin with more insulin? <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense why you would do that. Now, I understand she's listening to her doctor and the doctor's saying all these things. And I know even uh, your your colleague, Dr. Eric Westman, says he doesn't really worry about blood sugar levels. It's just about getting the insulin levels down. And if blood sugar happens to stay high for a bit while that insulin is coming down, so be it. 
Um, now, I don't know how you deal with it with your patients, but it seems to me that the insulin is doing more harm than good and is the culprit behind why she's not losing weight and why she's still hungry and why she's not getting the results of her ketogenic diet. You're, you're spot on with the, 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 driving, the driving of the insulin with hunger and weight gain and uh, you know, the appetite uh, being driven that way. Um, one of the interesting challenges that I've found is that I have a small percentage of patients that have the exact same problem that Paul's mom has. And it's, it's been fascinating to me that as we've let that insulin just we, – we've taken them off insulin. What I've seen clinically is that many, most people do very, very well. And the pancreas will heal. We'll see improvement in that insulin. But I have some that those blood sugars begin to creep. And they creep and creep and creep. And I've got patients that will come into me with diet journals. They're keeping their carbs under 20 per day. Yet they have fasting morning blood sugars uh, of, of one. 60, 180, and wow. sometimes 200. Now, these are people who've progressed down that insulin resistance scale into where their pancreas is beginning to give out. The pancreas just cannot keep up with the load. That's issue number one. Issue number two is we have to remember there's this really cool enzyme hormone. And again, it's remember the 30 hormones, insulin being the, the master hormone. The other one is amylin. Amylin is a feedback uh, mechanism that helps the liver not compensate so much when there's not carbs around. Amylin is what dampers down the production of gluconeogenesis. So in a patient who is dependent heavily on insulin, even the protein will actually tell the body, hey, be be wary. And that that glucagon that comes from that drives the production of, of, of gluconeogenesis. Amylin actually dampers it. Now, the beta cell produces both insulin and amylin. And in people who are, go, who are progressing down the road to some partial pancreatic failure, they stop producing insulin and they also stop producing amylin. And amylin is the feedback mechanism that's, that dampers down or puts the brake on the production of glu- glucose or glu- glycogen in the liver, the gluconeogenesis process. These patients will, won't will get their sugars down until they've had that amylin assessed. And there's a, a great medicine called Simlin that's out. Uh, unfortunately, it is a shot. But it, in many cases, we're able to notably decrease the overall need of insulin, improve the weight, improve the hunger cravings, see that waistline shrink because we're using less insulin by giving that feedback from from amylin that that's being lost from those beta cells. So there, it, it, like I said, I guess say over and over again, sixty-four shows in, we it's it's all about the hormones. Mm. Um, it really is, and amylin is one of those factors. And in in Paul's mom, I would I would consider assessing does that does that amylin need to be checked and verified. And would something like that be beneficial? He gives some great history showing that she initially had her sugars down to the 85 range, yep. but then they began to creep. Um, and if she's, as long as her protein contents are appropriate and her carb contents are as appropriate as he, he implies they are, that's the next piece is that you've got someone in stage five insulin resistance that's starting to see pancreatic decline. And those beta cells are, are not producing enough both insulin and amylin. I'm curious, uh, since no information was provided by Paul about uh, his mom's ketone levels if she ever has truly been in ketosis even with the low 20 grams of carbs and and what they describe as moderate protein we don't know what that means but uh, wonder if she ever got into ketosis with those levels of blood sugar so high although when she got to 85 I would probably say that her ketones were good I'm just wondering if if she measured the ketones maybe maybe exogenous ketones or some other modality could help boost this so that she could stay off the insulin 
Yeah, and and there's and and that's and those patients that I, that I would look at clinically that we say, hey, yes, you have this amylin deficiency. You know, you you want to verify, are you in ketosis? And interestingly enough, I've had patients that have blood sugars of 140 yeah. who are on insulin that um, they they will show ketones. And and the, this is where the challenge arises is that these people are producing both blood sugar, their ketones are going up, and if they don't give themselves enough insulin, this is this is the this is the patient who if she were to get dehydrated has the potential for ketoacidosis, and so. The Being rare, careful, yeah. the rare, the risk is, this is one of those people that would two. be at risk for ketoacidosis. And so you, this is a person that really, truly wants to work closely with their doctor, yeah. ensure that they're not cutting off their insulin altogether because that is a risk factor that we want to be real careful with in this particular type of person uh, that that needs to be addressed. And as, as you are dosing insulin appropriately, you're ensuring that you're getting to ketosis, that you're ensuring that, um, you know, that, that gluc- the, the protein levels are not stimulating excess um, uh, insulin or kicking you out of ketosis and that, that possibly the amylin needs, needs to be supplemented with, then those are, those are all factors. Uh, like a lot of moving parts here, <laughs> complex patient, but this is what we're trained to do. And right. this is why, this is why your doctor needs to be involved in this. Um, uh, uh, but, but great, great question. Great, great patient. Um, hopefully she, she can find an answer. And don't get dehydrated. That's one of the things Christine's learned in her. She's doing the uh, Nutritional Therapy Association, uh, trying to become an NTP by late, later this year. And one of the books they had to read was about the importance of water and hydration. And people just don't emphasize that enough. So that would definitely cure a lot of issues. Oh, there's that word. Can't say C. Uh, it, it will definitely help a lot of issues. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, didn't mean to throw the C word out again. So thank you, Paul, for that question. And we're up to the third featured question of the day. This was a quickie from Australia, Glenn from Australia. Hi, Jimmy and the doc. I've never heard you guys address rosacea, which is reddening of the nose, the cheeks near the nose and the center above the forehead on your show before. So here's my question. I have this condition and these areas become very dry. When I first started eating keto, the condition went away quickly, but then slowly returned. I measure my blood ketone levels and they stay between 1.5 and 2.5 millimolar on the blood ketone meter. Can a low carb, high fat diet help my rosacea? Thanks, Glenn from Australia. So does a ketogenic diet help improve or completely heal rosacea? And and this reminds me of the last uh, question that we just had from Paul about how his mom saw improvements in the blood sugar initially going keto and then it went back. And so here's Glenn saying kind of the same thing. Initially, he saw improvement in the rosacea, but it came back. What's going on? Well, rosacea is an interesting disease because we don't fully, and this is the problem, uh, Glenn, is we don't fully understand what the, what the driving force behind rosacea is, but we know there are really two pieces that we, we can address. Number one is that rosacea is, there is a bacteria involved with the, uh, the dilation of those blood vessels causing that dryness and that, that more prevalent visibility of, of the red lines or the small, small vessels in, in, the, in the superficial skin of the face. And so you'll see this reddening of the nose or reddening of the cheeks and a secondary dryness that arises with that. There is a there is a bacterial component to it that uh, that often is treated, and so we use um, some some metronidazole type gels, which is a, an antibiotic, an, it's an antibacterial topical that that helps to to suppress the bacterial growth that drives a part of it. The second piece is a, is a large inflammatory response. 
response that occurs with rosacea. Now, those patients that I have that have rosacea will see anywhere between a 30 to 50% improvement in their overall symptoms of rosacea because the ketogenic diet improves inflammation. But if you don't address the other underlying factor of of the, the bacterial source as well, you may not see it improve. Now, we don't fully understand it, and there are other cases that don't fully respond to either of those. Um, and, and so that's the challenge is that this is a disease where we will still kind of all scratch our head and go, hmm, don't quite know what happened there. But that's <laughs> what occurs. And so you will see improvement with the inflammatory component. I would see your doctor to treat the, the bacterial component, make sure you get the, the correct uh, prescription for that. Uh, that'll help. And then and then that that's the – and then hopefully as – time goes on we'll we'll learn more about the the other components that drive this process well and the benefit of ketosis being anti-inflammatory can be nothing but a positive so there's definitely no downside for glenn to be eating keto even if the condition of rosacea persists absolutely Well, Glenn, thank you for that question. And we are up to the Keto Talk mailbox. And lately in the mailbox, we've been getting some truly nerdy questions. (laughs) They love to kind of geek out with you, Doc. And this one today, man, is a doozy. So I hope we have time to (laughs) get it all in. Uh, Hi, Jimmy and the Doc. This is from William, by the way. Hi, Jimmy and the Doc. I have a geekish question about insulin resistance for the Doc to get all nerdy on. What exactly is the actual mechanism of insulin resistance? It seems to me there are at least two components involved. Number one, the number or conformation of the insulin receptors on cell membranes are reduced or changed so that insulin cannot signal particular cells. This happens uh, or this seems to happen at different rates in different tissue types. For example, muscle cells typically become insulin resistant with a lowering of the number of receptors or change confirmation before fat cells it's and number two it seems that some people tend to be hyper secretors of insulin in other words the beta cells secrete more insulin than someone else with the exact same glucose load i understand how lowering blood glucose and thus insulin will help to correct the low receptor numbers because as the insulin goes down the cells will upregulate the insulin receptors they will listen more carefully because insulin is whispering but what can be done about the hypersecretion of insulin? Does simply lowering the body uh, burden of insulin also influence the beta cells to secrete less insulin? And why does it take so long in some people to see their insulin resistance reverse even after months or years of ketogenic eating? And finally, why are some people prone to insulin resistance and others can almost uh, seem almost immune to it no matter what they eat? Thanks for the great podcast. I look forward to it every week. Stay geeky, William. William, you, you get the geekiest question I think we've ever been asked on this show. <laughs> yes. I'm real anxious to hear what you have to say, Doc. Well, William is William is given some great questions. Um, but th- this, again, is where many people and many physicians as well, um, if you don't understand what insulin resistance is, get a little confused. Um the, the the challenge again, and I'm an, I, and I hate it when we have to say well, we don't really fully know. Yeah, is that we don't really fully know all the pieces <laughs> of this particular puzzle. We do know two specific things. We know that there that the signaling mechanism for the body to produce insulin in response to the 
the, the glucose present is is driven by at least two and there may be four more and there's a couple studies that, that, that imply there are a couple others but the two we know of for sure are the GLUT2 transport receptor in the beta cell of the pancreas so there's a receptor that, that transports the glucose into the beta cell and then stimulates the release of the insulin. The second is that there's another receptor called the ABCA1 transport and that one can also be broken causing a similar problem. Uh, there's a recent study that came out and I, and I didn't have a chance to pull it out, but there's a third receptor that, that, that also plays a role here as well. Um, I suspect, you know, from my experience that there's probably six or seven different breakdowns because we see different patterns arise in different people. We know that the genetics uh, play a big role. We know that epigenetics, you know, what mom was exposed to when you were in uterus with mom, uh, may change the expression of these transport uh, enzymes in your cell walls of various cells. We know that uh, over lo- a long periods of time of being exposed to ketones, w- you, there's a change in the way the muscle upregulates the um, the medium chain triglyceride receptor. We we know that so that so there are these epigenetic pieces that we don't fully understand that we're learning about to, to kind of summarize it in a nutshell is this though whichever whatever may be broken the challenge is that your body is not sensing the glucose as effectively and when it does sense it it produces it produces insulin the other the other the other organs of the body hormonally say hey i'm getting a signal that there's insulin that there's glucose but you're not sending insulin so send more mm-hmm. and so the body begins to overexpress its insulin production in light of the signaling that's coming through from these ver- various broken receptors or or not enough receptors being present in various tissue types. What we see, though, is, is over time a, gradati- a gradation of increased insulin production as the insulin gets worse. Now, it's not a disease. It's a syndrome. And a lot of people say, well, why is it not a disease? Because I suspect that 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, it was this particular type of of uh, syndrome that protect, protected people who lived in arid deserts of Arizona and allowed them to survive on you know a small amount of carbohydrate throughout the year. And so, it, because our bodies, like like for instance, the Pima Indians who were, were basically hunter gatherers in a desert, a very arid desert, and didn't get a lot of carbohydrate uh, except for rare at rare times. When we all of a sudden give them Bisquick and beer, they're the first to express diabetes, which is essentially the fourth stage of type of of insulin resistance. As Bisquick that and excess, beer is that what you say? Yeah, Bisquick and beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just gonna make sure I heard you right. <laughs> the, the, the two B's that bring the carbs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, b- breakfast is Bisquick and beer. Yes, that, that's the challenge. <laughs> and um, bagels. And bagels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they didn't have enough bacon. That's the problem. And honey um, bun. <laughs> Honey bun, yes, yeah, exactly. Any any of the bees, the breakfast bees, as those you know, as we expose people that are that are very very sensitive to that, they produce large amounts of insulin because their body thinks I'm not going to see this for another six months because we're going to go through a, an arid desert, and that and that I suspect that that may be part of the role that that this this particular syndrome was protective against. Now we as a society haven't seen famine for hundreds of years, uh, and hopefully we never do. But I, I suspect that it's this particular syndrome that help protect cultures in that regard. And we, we see it, we see increasing patterns of these, these um, genetic 
expressions through various cultures and various uh, genetic lines. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces to this, but really what it comes down to is at, at each stage of, of insulin resistance, you produce more and more insulin in response to the same amount of glucose. The amazing thing is, is that as you change the diet and you as you improve the exposures, you, you'll actually see a regression of that. It'll get better. We do know that the glute transport receptor um, actually is made worse when there's the presence of high levels of sugar and high triglycerides at the same time. I, I, there's a diet called the SAD diet that, that provides that, if I recall. I've heard of that one. I've heard of it, yeah. <laughs> and then the ABCA1 transport actually gets damaged or, or doesn't work as efficiently in the presence of really high, triglyc- uh, high cholesterol and triglyceride together. And I remember another diet called the SAD diet that kind of does <laughs> that too. So we know that at least from the dietary exposure we've had over the last 50 to 60 years, that's played a big role in the progression of this insulin expression and insulin resistance as a population. Did you that's say the short answer? Did you say ABCA receptor? Is that what? ABCA1. Sorry, I get a little Michael Jackson in there. That- I, I hope you're not implying that insulin resistance came from the Jackson 5. Oh, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist this. When you said that the first time, that's the first thing that popped in my head. A, B, C. <laughs> oh, I bet there's a thousand people out there that are going, I, I had the same thought. <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> William, thank you for that very, very, very intelligent, geeky, nerdy question. And the doc got all all in his business on that one. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. Um, I like that people think and I like that we kind of get this kind of detailed and we can hash out some of these theories because, you know, quite frankly, we don't know all the mechanisms that are in place. But uh, what we do know, uh, we are articulating here on Keto Talk. We are up to the iTunes review portion of the show and uh, we have one today, ATX Cowgirl. Love, she says, love, love, love this podcast. So much info dot, 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 for free. Listening to this podcast has helped me be more aware of my health and what I put in my body. Anyone that wants to learn about health and diet, this is the podcast for you. Thank you, Doc and Jimmy, for all you do. And her name is Aaron. So thank you, Aaron, for that. Definitely head on over to iTunes, type in Keto Talk, Jimmy Moore, Adam Nally. You will find the show and you too can provide us a review. So that's it for episode 64 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And if you've not signed up yet, where you been? Go over to ketotalkfb.com to Ketonian Corner Facebook page. It's the official Facebook uh, discussion group of this here podcast. And all those rabid Ketonians, they love, love, love sharing. And, and what's really cool so far, Adam, is they, they're they actually loving on each other. Like people have questions and then other people are chiming in. Oh, yeah, I dealt with that. And here's what I did, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. Did you say rabid? Rabid, R A B I D. Is that why they're loving on each other? Because they all they're know, all rabid. Right? So just, <laughs> they're all singing. Not. They're all singing this song. So, guys, thank you for being here. As always, go to ketotalk.com and you can give us uh, a donation there. Click on the donate button, and uh, yeah, you can even sing if you want to. It's all the doc's fault. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I will take the heat for that one. So until next Thursday, we'll have more goofiness for you then. We'll see you then. See you then.
You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Keto Talk. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.